The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, and we are counting down the days until the NFL Draft, where we will get to see who will be the newest members of the New York Giants. So as a way of preparing for that, we're going to start discussing more and more about the draft for the next month up until the first pick is in and then giving you instant reactions to those picks on those various days. For today's show, what we're going to be doing is telling you about our favorite offensive prospects and then we will be doing our defensive prospects that we really love on Wednesday's show. So today, though, the goal is to fill you in on five guys that we really, really like There's a chance that they might not be in play for the Giants, but still are all guys that would be great fits if they ended up being in New York. But to start off today's show, last week, Chris had a mock draft, yet another mock draft. Uh, This time again, actually had a little bit of a controversy with his selection because it is not the typical one that we're seeing. And it seems that, uh, Chris, you got a little lucky here with this pick. So if you did not see... Chris's mock draft, I fully encourage you to go check it out. But that first pick at number four overall, you had the Giants getting Chase Young of all players. How how did this even happen? How did this manage to happen that he was available to you at the fourth overall pick in this uh, simulated mock draft with the Draft Network? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just go with dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way it happened, the Cincinnati Bengals did what they're almost absolutely certainly going to do and selected Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU, at first overall. Then the Washington Redskins threw a curveball and selected Jeffrey Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State. And the Detroit Lions went and selected Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn, leaving Chase Young right there for the picking, and I couldn't not do it how realistic is it that chase young happens to fall to the giants lap at fourth overall and honestly the answer is not very mock draft simulators they are they can be prone to having guys fall just way further than they realistically will in the real draft 
I use the Draft Network's mock draft machine because I do find it to be more realistic than some of the other ones out there. Yeah, I like their algorithm. I like that they updated it for free agency signings. I believe that the trade of Darius Slay and Quentin Dunbar played a big role into Jeffrey, Jeffrey Okuda going second overall and Chase Young slipping. Washington does have a really stacked front seven. You know, they took Montez Sweat as an edge player in the first round last year. He was quiet for most of the year, but then came on and finished the season with seven sacks. And he actually owns the fastest sack of any player last year. So it's not like they have a super pressing need for an edge rusher like they do for a cornerback. So that at least is within the realm of possibility. Now, the Lions going defensive tackle over edge, they did just spend big money on an edge last year. And, you know, they also do have some good defensive tackles, but, you know, they their interior defensive line did fall off from what it was in 2018. So, again, I suppose I could see that happening, but I think the more likely way that Chase Young slips is if at least one, at least two quarterbacks, I'm sorry, two quarterbacks get taken in the top three. And then the third pick is either a third quarterback or Jeffrey Okuda. Yeah, I just don't see Brown going ahead of Chase Young. <laughs> yeah, there's probably not much of a chance that. Chase Young will slip behind other defensive players. But like you said, there's a likelihood that teams do trade up. Not a strong likelihood, but a possibility that enough teams could trade up into a spot where Chase Young does fall and find himself at that fourth overall pick. So I don't think it's too crazy to, to think that Chase Young could be available. Like you said, the odds are probably not very, very high, but it is still a scenario like you highlighted in your mock draft that it could still happen. So with your second pick uh, in the second round, number 36 overall, you were able to nab Ezra Cleveland offensive tackle from Boise State. You, you missed out, as you highlighted, on a number of the other big-name offensive tackles as they were taken in the first round. So was Ezra Cleveland really your next go-to for uh, available offensive lineman? He w- he was one of them. He was one of the guys I was considering. Yeah, I was kind of thinking between... Cleveland and Matt Peart from UConn at that position. There weren't any centers there that I really liked the value of, which I wound up getting my center gambling and getting my center in the fourth round with Tyler Biotish, which is another thing I do not expect to happen in the real draft. A lot of GMs would probably need their heads examined if they let him slip out of the third round. But with Ezra Cleveland, he is a really long tackle. He's got long arms, good height. He is a really incredible athlete for an offensive tackle. You know, at the scouting combine, he scored in the 80 or 90th percentile for just about everything. He's fast, he's agile, he's explosive, and he's a good pass protector. What he really needs is more play strength. And that's also kind of the same deal with Matt Peart, who more than anything, reminds me of Will Beattie coming out of UConn, and I'm not just commenting on their helmets. Peart is tall. He is really long. He's got over 36-inch arms, which is kind of crazy. And he is, ad- like Cleveland, he is agile. He gets to the second level well, but he also does need just more 
more functional strength to be able to hold up at the NFL level. But either of those guys, they should be able to step in and compete and win a starting job as rookies. They might not be good starters. They might not be the kind of set them and forget them starters that the big four, Becton, Wirfs, Wills, and Andrew Thomas might be, but they can at least be a long-term answer for one of the offensive tackle positions. Uh, Peart has played both left and right tackle. He was a left tackle in 2018, right tackle in 2019. Cleveland is a left tackle. That's what he knows. But either one at least has the potential, the upside, the traits to be a long-term answer there. So in this mock draft, you ended up taking three offensive linemen, Cleveland being one of them, Biotish being the other one, like you said. And then you also was able, were able to get Alex Taylor in the seventh round at pick number 238. Were, were you intentionally thinking we need to get some offensive linemen here? Is there actually even a realistic shot that the Giants end up taking that many guys? Or are we just going to end up with another year where we're disappointed in their lack of uh, ability to bolster the offensive line? I sincerely hope we're not. We don't wind up disappointed, but you also never know the way the draft is going to fall. It's possible that Chase Young could be there, and then there is a run, and five or six offensive tackles go in the first round after the Giants draft Chase Young, and that guy isn't there at the top of the second. And maybe they decide to go somewhere else. Maybe uh, a safety or a really good wide receiver is there at the top of the second round and then the centers are gone by the time the 99th pick comes up at the bottom of the third round. I don't think they will try to disappoint us, but we do have to recognize that the draft is a fluid dynamic thing. Would be great if you could say, okay, I want to get an offensive tackle in round one, an edge player in round two, an offensive center in round three, and just go through like that, like a shopping list. But you know, it it doesn't work like that. You kind of have to think on your feet. Now, would they also take that many linemen? I would set the over-under at two, or maybe two and a half, because that's the way they always do it. And if the over-under was set at two and a half, I would probably take the under. Uh, I wasn't planning on taking Alex Taylor, but I figured that late, you have a guy with those kinds of measurables. Take a flyer. Hopefully the Giants can actually draft that many offensive linemen that two that can step in and play right away or develop and then you also get a developmental guy in Alex Taylor because like I said though there it would be disappointing if they didn't at least take a couple guys to help bolster and and fix the offensive line they they need to start bringing in some younger guys that can grow and improve with this team so really interested that interesting that you were able to get three of those guys to help build up and add some developmental pieces to that offensive line group. So now we're going to start talking about our favorite guys in this year's draft class. But before we get to that, we're going to take a very short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With anyone who evaluates draft talent, and especially from our perspective for looking at the New York Giants, you're going to have guys that you really, really love and and guys that you're really attached to when you watch their tape and you see them play because whatever they do, certain things really stand out to you. So we're going to highlight five guys that we both really, really like and that we think can be impact players for the Giants if they can be selected by them and come and play for them. So our first guy that we chose to talk about here is Tristan Wirfs, offensive tackle from Iowa, six foot five, three hundred and twenty pounds. And if we're just talking about a guy that if he was printed out in the exact size and athletic build that you want for a young offensive tackle, Wirfs would be that exact guy. He has the build. He's got the lower body strength. You saw it at the combine, the way that he's just put together, the way that he's able to move at that weight, that he can develop and become a very, very good offensive lineman because he has all of those athletic things going for him and helping him become and be a, a great offensive tackle. Yeah, the the workout he put down was just phenomenal. As much attention as Mackay Becton got for his 40-yard dash, that is the same kind of attention Wirfs should get for his entire workout. He moved really well. He good knee bend, good hip bend, good smooth feet. You can especially on his tape, you can see he just has all kinds of natural power. I would not want to make him angry. <laughs> And I also personally just really like the fact that he plays both sides or he has played both sides. For the most part, he played right tackle for Iowa, but there was a stretch of the season where he he had to play left tackle and he did not do a bad job at it. Obviously, it's, it's a mirror to all of the technique you have known and ingrained in yourself. But just the fact that he can do that, he can play both sides to me that makes him even more valuable because a team can just take him and slot him in where they need him and hopefully they would leave him there and let him develop and really hone those tools but just having that option to me is really valuable overall though that athletic makeup that he has really helps him out as a prospect because where he might be a little bit deficient and not as clean as you'd want him to be in various parts of his game, you can really make up for that with having those athletic traits, the ability to move very, very cleanly. Having, like you said, that raw strength is so underrated in an offensive line prospect. Actually, I wouldn't even say underrated. It is so necessary in a top-level offensive line prospect because if you're naturally strong and you can move guys off the ball easily, if you can grab guys that are speed rushers and completely body them or also counter power when it's coming at you because you're strong enough to that makes your game all the more well-rounded because you have that strength but to go on top of that though the foot speed all that stuff he's just very very well-rounded as a prospect not perfect obviously has some issues but still very very well-rounded for what you're looking for in an offensive tackle just to put kind of a final capstone on just how prototypical a 
specimen Tristan Wirfs is, his closest athletic comparison is Trent Williams. They're almost the exact same size. They're both 6'5", 320. They both have 34-inch arms. Wirfs' hands are a little bit bigger. Their 40-yard dashes are within four one-hundredths of a second of each other. Uh, Wirfs jumped, uh, I believe, about an inch and a half higher and about an inch or two further in the broad jump. Their three-cone drills were almost exact almost identical. Their short shuttles were almost identical. So just physically, athletically, Tristan Wirfs is Trent Williams. Yeah, that comp to Trent Williams has been a reoccurring one just in terms of, if we're not talking about his game, in terms of his athletic makeup is so parallel because of all those things that you highlighted. It's almost as if you could mix up the two and not tell me which name is which, and I wouldn't be able to indicate who is who because it is so comparable in terms of size and speed and all that stuff. Our next player that we really like is another offensive lineman. This guy is an interior offensive lineman. That is Lloyd Cushenberry, the third center from LSU. I'm kind of thinking to myself now that our listeners, if you've been listening consistently enough throughout this offseason, you might be able to actually guess some of these players that we're going to end up talking about because it's guys that keep coming up, keep coming up because we love them at the Combine. We love them at the Senior Bowl. We love them in various steps throughout this thing, and they continue just to do things that make us really like them. And Cushenberry is a name that we continually keep bringing up. The center from LSU, six foot three. 312 has that ideal size and the arm length and reach that you want in a center prospect, but you can really see his impact in the middle of the offensive line. A guy that can step in and know what he's doing, smart player, can direct and make all those calls and and the various adjustments inside protection. I would not be worried that if the Giants were able to select him in the second round and he was their starting center on day one, or wherever they needed to put him. I would not be worried about his ability to make decisions and be smart at the line of scrimmage because I know he has that football IQ. Yeah, and he has ideal measurements. Like Again, kind of like Wirfs, pretty much perfect size, good weight, long arms, big hands. He has good power. He can stand up to nose tackles he is quick enough to snap the ball and get his hands up and actually engage offensive linemen without getting pushed back there are obviously things he needs to clean up but he at least has the tools where when he cleans them up the ceiling is very high for him and he also has just a real nasty streak to him which i i like to see especially in the interior linemen Certainly love seeing that nasty streak and that the meanness, toughness from an interior offensive lineman, but also have to love his speed in terms of what you talked about, his hand speed, being able to transition from that snap to blocking, very, very key for being a good center is your one, your intelligence, and then also that hand speed, being able to transition, get off the ball, because compared to the other offensive line positions you're at a slight disadvantage those guys get to come off the ball with both of their hands but in most cases as a center you're moving with one arm and trying to get the other one caught up with the other so having that speed is very very important for Cushenberry and a huge reason why we really love him our third guy on this list another guy that we've been talking about a ton is Chase Claypool wide receiver from Notre Dame Huge receiver, six foot four, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds. Just a big-bodied freak in terms of his athletic makeup. Like a lot of these guys on this list, they have 
the athletic build that you want to see for a bigger receiver, but the fact that he can move with 4-4 speed is incredible for a wide receiver, that he is able to run that fast and still be at that size. It's almost comparable to DK Metcalf's speed, but not, not there exactly in terms of how fast he was. But because of how good this receiver class is, he ends up finding himself more of a day two, even an early day three prospect. Big, big guy, can make plays, be a red zone threat, score touchdowns whenever you need him to. So Claypool has all those odd physical traits for a really big receiver. Yeah, it was kind of funny to see him you know, weigh in at 238 and everybody say, oh, he's moving to, moving to tight end, he's moving to tight end. I heard it so much, I said, well, you know, they're there. Maybe they're talking to people who said maybe his his people, his representation are putting it out there that is open to moving to a, a hybrid tight end role because of just how big he is. And then he lays down a 4-4-40 and... You know, it turns out, you know, okay, maybe he was just holding water. That's why he he was that big. <laughs> you know, that's why he was nine pounds heavier than his senior bowl weigh-in. Even accounting for that nine pounds, he is still a big receiver. He's He isn't just big-bodied. He has a big frame, a huge catch radius, and he can actually make plays with the ball in his hands. He can run after the catch. I actually would have liked to have seen Notre Dame use him on crossing routes less and use him down the field more. Yeah, he would probably be a more highly thought of prospect if you know if Notre Dame had used him as the athletic freak that he is and actually asked him to stretch and stress defenses. He where he goes is going to be really very interesting because he didn't have the career you probably would have expected from him at Notre Dame, but you know how much of that was just a not great quarterback situation holding him back. I mean, I think Ian Book's a decent quarterback, but we won't we won't get too deep into that. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I really do see what you're talking about. He didn't have Joe Burrow. No, he did not have Joe Burrow. I see what you're talking about here that uh, about the possibility of him moving to tight end because it just it doesn't make sense. If you watch him play, he's not a tight end. If you're thinking to yourself and you look at his athletic me- measurement, if you only saw him weigh in, you'd think to yourself, oh, that guy's probably going to be playing tight end. But there's other receivers in this league. There's very few of them that have this physical makeup and this size that are just so rare and are very clearly better performers at the receiver position. Like Julio Jones is that big. DK Metcalf, Calvin Johnson was that big. I'm not saying Claypool has that type of a ceiling and that he's going to be that type of a contributor. But it is not often that you have a guy that's six foot four, 230 so pounds can run a four, four has the catch radius and can make plays in the red zone. It's a huge threat for him. And he can be an impact player for really any offense that he steps into, depending on the various roles that you use him in. He's not going to be blocking much like a tight end, but you could use him to a sense on the same types of passing concepts that you choose to use a tight end on. So our next guy that we have is another receiver and our second LSU player on this list, second out of three, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, LSU, six foot one, two oh two. Chris, this is a guy that I know that you absolutely love and you probably have a ton to say about him. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a guy who kind of flew under the radar for most of the season, but then when LSU caught fire it was tough to not watch him. And part of this, I think, is 
him benefiting from Joe Burrow just playing out of his mind and not even throwing darts, just throwing laser beams to receivers. Jefferson, is, he has good size, but not great size. He's 6'1", 202. He ran faster than I think a lot of people thought he was capable of. A low 4'4", I think it was about a 4'4'3". And that was the question that a lot of people had about him was, does he have the speed to threaten a defense deep? And yeah, it turns out he does. Yeah, he was a very smooth runner, which I think is part of the reason why people doubted his speed because he, he just makes it look effortless. You know, he's a good route runner. He can get separation with his routes. He's got good releases off the line of scrimmage. And he just has that nice big toolbox where he can win a, a bunch of different ways. He's got a good vertical, so he's got a big catch radius. He's a He's got good hands. He's a scrappy blocker. He's got the speed. There are just so many different things that different aspects to to his game that I just find myself appreciating. And I think he does have the potential to be a thousand yard receiver at the NFL level. Jefferson's easily been one of the biggest risers, especially at the receiver position. No one was expecting that four, four speed, like you said. So he goes out there and he's an athletic specimen in his testing. That's enough to really bump him up in terms of what he has in terms of NFL capability, what he can do at the next level. And when you have such a good team like LSU, who is the national champion and has all of these prospects, sometimes even though you're breaking records and winning awards, it's sometimes easy to get lost in all of the other attention from other guys. It's easy to think, oh, Joe Burrow's the one who's really the the big contributor to why Justin Jefferson looks good. But the reality of it is that they're both really, really freaking good. They're both really good prospects. And it's not that one is making the other look better, but rather they're both working so well in tandem that they're elevating the level of not only both of their own play, but the whole offense in general. So Jefferson, underrated guy, pushing himself into the first round. Our last guy that we have here, another LSU player. We didn't even realize this. It took until now for me to realize that we had three LSU guys on this list. And that's just how it works. When you have a national championship team, like last year with Clemson, your senior class or your juniors that are coming out, there are going to be a ton of them that have draftable grades because if you're going to win a national championship, you most likely have the most, if not some of the most talented players in the country. So our guy, last guy, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, running back from LSU. Not a very big guy, five foot seven, two oh seven. Kind of comparable in terms of size to Dion Lewis, who the Giants recently signed. But smaller guy, didn't run a super fast 40, 4'6", but did have a 39 and a half inch vertical. Chris, you and I were talking about this before the show, and you pointed this out, which is a great point. If he was bigger and faster by just a little bit, if he was, say, 5'9", and ran a a 4'5", or a 4'5'5", I think he'd be talked about a lot higher, like you said. He'd be in that top five conversation, because when you watch him on the field, he does a lot. He is very quick. He's got quick feet, jitterbug-type player, and also can be an option in the receiving game for an offense. Yeah, and... I'm not sure he would even have to be bigger and faster. You know, if he was the same size that he is, but ran a four four forty, he'd probably be talked about along with DeAndre Smith and Jonathan Taylor. Or if he was maybe five eleven and two twenty, he'd probably be up there in that conversation because you know he does so much well. He's got 
just fantastic contact balance. He's got great vision, and you can tell with his vertical and broad jump. You know, he he's got li- he's got short guy ups, and I can say that as a short guy. He he's got just great explosiveness, even though he doesn't have much long speed. So he can make those quick cuts, and he has really great burst through the hole. So he can see the hole, get there, and get through it, and turn a loss or a run for one or two yards into five or six yards. And then he also has that ability as a receiver where he's got good hands. He makes a good target of, of himself. So he can keep the chains moving in just a variety of ways. And he's stronger than you'd think for his size. He can kind of carry tacklers as long as they're not very good tacklers. And considering his size, it's tough to get a it's tough to get a square bead on him to get a good form tackle. So, you know, if he takes a glancing blow, he can he can keep going or he can kind of run through and pick up an extra yard or two off an arm tackle. So he just does so many of those little things. And he's really fun to watch. I feel like with Edward Hilaire, that he's going to be one of those running backs that is going to get taken later than he really should have been. And come the next two or three seasons, we'll be saying to ourselves, well, why didn't he get drafted sooner? Well, because he has those slight limitations, but can come and have an impact with with a team. He doesn't need to be super fast. He doesn't need to be super big, but he's still going to rack up a ton of yards and make big plays for whatever offense ends up uh, bringing him in and using a part him as a part of their game plan. That's all we have for today's show. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us and also follow us on social media at Big Blue View. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon and you can follow Chris at RaptorMKII. Stay tuned for Wednesday where we will be giving you our favorite defensive players in this year's NFL Draft. <laughs>